This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's really a joy to be able to host these episodes each week as we hear stories of how God has inspired people to step forward in faith and how He's equipped them to share the beauty of the gospel through their lives and through their work. My guest this week, Sally Reed, is an English poet who currently resides near Rome, and I stumbled across her story in a Facebook group on evangelization, where some folks were having a discussion on the impact of conversion stories, and Sally's spiritual memoir came up in that discussion. I didn't waste much time, I quickly purchased her book on Kindle, and I read it in a weekend. And there are a number of very moving passages from this book, uh, which is called Night's Bright Darkness, but there were two that I would love to share with you right now. Sally writes the following, One night, when I lay down, I felt someone beside me. There was a feeling of being known in every cell. My aloneness was taken away from me, and though it has often since returned, I know that loneliness is the illusion, and Christ beside me the reality. This was my earliest prayer, being attuned to Christ's presence, which by grace I perceived in those early days as strongly as my daughter's breathing or the sound of the blackbird singing at night in the garden. And later on, Sally recounts her experience after her first reconciliation. She writes, As I stood and followed him back out of the church, I was almost breathless at the swooning simplicity and completeness of God's mercy. The Catholic Church, which I had always seen as wrapped in barbed wire and brambles, was as yielding, accommodating, and non-judgmental as a mother. Again, those passages are from Sally's book, Night's Bright Darkness, and it's interesting how she describes her perceptions of the church. She says she'd always seen it as wrapped in barbed wire and brambles. But when she got closer and eventually became a Catholic, she discovered quite a different reality. But along the way, she also had her concerns about entering into a church that suffered from some very corrupt members but she was ultimately convinced that she needed to be on the inside of this church if she cared about seeing real change happen instead of circling around it on the outside. And afterwards, on the inside, life for her became easier and more purposeful. And this is so true, isn't it? You know, a key part of evangelization is inviting people to come a little closer to the inside of the faith to hear the story a little more clearly and with more context so they can experience a deeper participation in it and, by God's grace, be transformed. 
Let me give you kind of a random analogy, but on a long plane ride this past summer, I traveled with my sister and her twin toddlers. My niece and nephew love the movie Encanto, and on a 10-hour flight, we were willing to do whatever it took to keep them distracted, even if that meant watching their favorite movie on a loop. This means that I saw Encanto a number of times during that trip, but there was no audio and no subtitles. All I saw were some fast-moving and colorful images. I don't actually know what the story was. And sometimes it can be like that with Christ and the church. We can watch all of this on a loop and as a spectator. But if we don't stop to put the headphones on or read the captions and pay attention to the story, well, honestly, it just won't make much sense. But we were meant to come a little closer and to understand the beautiful story of God's love that the church is telling. So please enjoy my conversation with Sally as she describes a bit of her spiritual journey, which included, as she calls it, sheer hair-raising grace. I'm delighted to welcome Sally Reed to the show. Sally is a poet and a writer who is living in Rome. Sally, it's really great to have you on today. How are you? I'm fine. It's lovely to be here. Well, Sally, I know you wrote uh, a beautiful spiritual memoir, which uh, presents really your journey of conversion to the Catholic Church. So I, I want to direct our listeners to that work and that full story. But at this time, could you give us some of those highlights of how you came to encounter Christ in such a way that your life was really redirected? Yeah, well, I was I was brought up um, in a very uh, non-religious family, um, very atheist, and mm. I was really a convinced atheist, you know, through my childhood and through my teens. Um, and then I became a psychiatric nurse. And because I really wanted to do good, we were, you know, I had a very moral sense, even though we weren't at all religious in our, in our family. And as a psychiatric nurse, I, um, I began to write poetry, strangely enough, because I needed a way to deal with the trials and tribulations of dealing with people who were very unwell on the hospital ward. And... But it really wasn't until I was 39 and I'd left nursing and really turned my full attention to poetry that I had this amazing conversion experience. And it happened, um, if I tell you that I was an atheist in the, in the March of 2010, and I was a full Catholic by the December, that will tell you how quick it was. It was nine months and it was just sheer hair-raising grace uh, in the sense that I was researching a, a nonfiction book. And in that process, I contacted a Catholic priest because I wanted to ask him questions about various issues. And I ended up having a real fight with him because that was when the abuse scandals were coming out about the church. And I was I hated the Catholic church. And once we began kind of sparring on email, I then had a series of incredible encounters, which I didn't realize until much later were the Trinity. I mean, first of all, it was God the Father, and then it was the Holy Spirit, and then it was Christ himself. So, would you like me to tell you about, about I, one of the... I would <laughs> love to hear that, how you've come to encounter the Holy Trinity. Absolutely. Pick, pick one of them or all of them. I know, it sounds so crazy. And I, I, I had no idea at the time. This is what, you know, one of the reasons I know it's so authentic is that if you'd have said to me at the beginning of 2010, define the Trinity, I know this sounds mad. and I'm an educated woman. I've been to university, but I actually would have sort of um, stammered and probably not thought, well, the Trinity, what do I mean by that? You know, I, it wasn't in my vocabulary, really. And... So I had had these strange experiences whereby I'd come to believe, I'd come to appreciate that there could be a God, mm -hmm. okay? That was in the, at the beginning of the march. 
And then I had a very strange experience that I recount in my book, which I didn't realize until much later was kind of the Holy Spirit. It was a very odd experience that kind of shook me physically and kind of, um, I describe it in the book as, as it being as I'd been injected by a drug. It was a really odd experience. Um, when I say drug, I don't mean like a psychedelic drug. I mean, just like I felt intensely relaxed and like I was crying and, and stuff like that. And then the last experience was the absolute deal breaker, because at this point, I, I knew there was something going on. And I was talking to this priest, but he never once tried to tell me that I should be a Christian. And I was saying, well, OK, I can see there could be a God, but what's it all about? What does it mean? You know, is it the Islamic God? Is it the Hindu God or whatever, you know? And I didn't want it to be the Christian God, you know, because I'd really heard bad things about Christianity. Mm-hmm. And at that time, my, my daughter was going to this little um, Carmelite nursery by the sea because we live near Rome. So, you know, most of the schools are religious, at least the good ones. And she was being looked after by the nuns. And just before I went to pick her up, I popped into this little church to kind of just be still and be quiet and think. And at that time, it's kind of a long story, but because of all of this, I felt very churned up and very, very upset, actually. And I was looking up at this icon of Christ's face in stained glass. And as I looked up, I actually spoke out loud. And I said, if you're there, you have to help me. And as I said it, I felt this presence physically kind of come down to me and almost physically lift me up and my face just dried my tears just dried and you know I said it's like um it was like I had amnesia you know really bad amnesia in a real panicky state and somebody walked into the room that gave me back just my whole life just everything I'd had even even more than before it was just the most incredible feeling so when I walked out of the church I I was absolutely Christian um, and it's just never changed. I mean, I started praying the Our Father that very day because I've been taught it at school. Okay. And, and then through that summer was the long process of discovering that that presence that I felt was the Eucharist because I was sitting before the Blessed Sacrament. Oh. And really because of that, I pieced together that, you know, I have to receive the Eucharist. So I was so desperate that I was determined to kind of understand about the Catholic Church and what it was all about. And I read so much, the mystics and the gospels and Thomas Aquinas, you know, pieces of, and, and so by, by the end of the summer, I was just desperate to proceed into the church. And then in the December on the feast of St. John of the Cross, I was received as a Catholic in the Vatican itself. And, and I should add, and I, I, I'll let our listeners read that part, but it's, it's a fascinating story. How you, uh, just, it's just the adventure of uh, being brought into the church. So um, I, yeah, um, I, I really would love our listeners to read more about that because it also, I think, showed uh, just your perseverance as well, um, that this was, this was going to happen um, yeah. and that there would be no obstacle or hurdle that was, that was too big, that this was going to happen. Um, wow. That is, that is so beautiful, Sally. I know it's a lot to sum up in a short amount of time. I'm, but I'm also curious um, what did um, I know that there's an intense experience sort of one-on-one with, you know, with the Trinity, with this experience of the Eucharist. Um, what was going on in your kind of if your community? You're, you're speaking to a priest um, are there others that um, you're in contact with who who kind of help um, kind of introduce you to the faith? Yeah, at that time, um, we were living in this, uh, we still are living in a town called Santa Marinella, which is near to Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, I had reached out and made friends with some American ladies mm-hmm. just because they had young children as well. And I just had my daughter. 
and they were all extremely Catholic. So when I first made friends with them, I was like, oh my goodness, they're extremely Catholic. <laughs> and I really didn't particularly be friends with them because I found their views quite strange on things like abortion, you know, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And however, we became good friends. And there was one woman in particular called Christina and she's remained a really, really good friend. And she's now the mother to five children. And at that point she had two. And um, she never tried to convert me at all, but she would just, you know, talk about Jesus and, uh, and our Blessed Mother in a really natural way. And I, I think it just really struck me because she never once tried to say, oh, look, you should believe in this or look at that or we think this. She just she just say like, oh, Lord, you know, you've got, you've got to help me today. Or, you know, she kind of suddenly addressed Jesus, the picture on the wall and stuff like that. So she was just a very faithful and sincere Catholic. So she was really, and I spent so much time at their house. I think she did make a huge impression on me. Wow. Um, but I knew a lot of Catholics at that time because, okay. you know, living there, really can't help but but do that. Um, so she, and also Father Gregory was a big player because, yeah. you know, he, he is a theologian. And I think from my perspective, I needed somebody who really, really understood the faith very deeply and very clearly. And somebody who wasn't going to make any concessions and say, oh, well, don't worry about that bit. We don't really believe that bit. I mean, he's yeah. full of, you know, the whole package. Yeah. And he had... Um, He'd fought against corruption in the church in Ukraine because he was a, a superior of, um, of the monasteries in, in Ukraine and had, had been fighting against corruption and had had to flee for his life from the country. So he had a real pedigree about him. But, you know, I knew that I had no beef with him when I first mm-hmm. met him, that I might hate the church. But, you know, well, why was this man involved? He was he was really um, somebody that I could I could look up to and I could respect. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, for both of those, the Father Gregory and Christina, your two friends um, who had kind of a pivotal role in your own journey. You said that neither of them really imposed or kind of demanded that you convert. They just lived it out in this authentic and sincere way, which is so attractive, right? Yeah. And I I think that's, um, why is that so compelling and attractive a witness, Sally, in your own experience? same thing with human nature you know we don't we don't need to be um when someone tries to persuade us and kind of twist our arm and it's just annoying but if someone's just convinced and lives a good example then that's far more compelling isn't it and and also it it speaks about their own um conviction because father gregory said to me you know only christ will convert you which really surprised me but he truly believed that although i think even he was surprised at what happened you know (laughs) But he truly, he, he knew that if I was supposed to convert, then God wasn't going to let this opportunity go by. Yeah. So that's, that's really compelling. Wonderful. And now for those who are just tuning in, um, I am speaking with Sally Reed, who is a poet and writer uh, who lives, is it in Rome or near Rome? Yeah, it's in a little town called Santa Marinella. That's it. Wonderful. Now, Sally, uh, on the note of being a poet and a writer, how have you found that, um, now you've experienced this evangelization and this conversion. How has that further converted your own work in your experience? Yeah, that's that's interesting because um, you know I'm not the kind of writer that's writing uh, for money, if you like. You know, I'm not going to share stuff out on a commercial basis. So already I had published three books of poetry, and it was always about things that really, really mattered to me and about things that I felt very were very important. So my second book, for example, was all about my daughter. You know, so it's always got to come, you know, from the heart. And so, you know, there's been no way about it. Like the last decade of my writing, it's been all about my faith and about Jesus. And um, I've, got, I've published my memoir and then another book called Annunciation, which is written to my daughter. And, and I've just published now a book of poems. And the poems are about 
um, they're kind of the life of Christ going from the conception of Mary all the way through to post-resurrection. And they're interspersed kind of contemplations and meditations um, of my own prayer life as well. So everything is very, very Christ-centered, which is interesting. And, and, it, and it continues, you know, it's interesting to see how this is going to play out in my work because I'm now working on, on a piece of work about the Virgin Mary. So, okay. and that addition to the Annunciation I've already written because Mary's, you know, I mean, she's my love, you know. Yeah. As well. And if you could tease that out for us a little bit, um, uh, your relationship with Mary, because I, I know some of the, the questions and concerns you had had to do around issues of women. And you mentioned abortion earlier, all of these things. How um, how has your relationship with Mary kind of changed that worldview? Yeah, it's been my, my relationship with Mary has been has been really fascinating because I have had an obsession with Mary for almost my whole life. And, and even when I was an atheist, I had a picture of her up in my, in my room always wow. Wow. about art. I thought it was about Renaissance painting and stuff. Um, and then when I converted in that, that nine month period, she didn't make an, she didn't make an appearance. It's very interesting. That is interesting. And I was, it was kind of like, Oh, well, you know, I wonder where she is. And I thought, well, perhaps she kind of brought me to that point and she's just kind of hiding, which I think, I think is true. And it's only been over the last 10 years that I've really begun to understand more of her role and, and what she's all about. And I think um, she's so much about strength, you know, through God and about hope. And she's, we see her, or, you know, in the past, I've atheists and people see her as like a very kind of insipid character. It's just not true. I mean, she is the most powerful human being, actually, that's fully human, you know, on the planet in history, certainly the most powerful woman. She's, she's so um she's so inspiring she's so faith-filled and it's taken me years of um praying the rosary and and learning about her and actually seeing her through the old testament you know it's only when you begin to read things like um esther and judith which are strange books in the old testament but you actually think ah god used that woman you know that that seemingly powerless insignificant modest humble woman to do something enormous. So she's just turned everything on my head and she's such an incredibly powerful intercessor, you know. Beautiful. You know, Sally, as I, I, I think of those, oh my gosh, there are so many who have been in a similar place as you uh, with no belief in God. In fact, maybe a, a, even a hatred of, of the church or, or most organized religion. Um, what do you want to tell them? How how would you encourage them? If you're if you just happen to be having coffee with with someone like that who's in that place, what might you share with them? Knowing that each person is a little bit different, but what would come from your own heart? I would just say that um, from my perspective, my life is so much easier and better and fuller, you know, since believing, yeah. and that if you look at the kind of the human mechanics of any. Any, any institution, you're going to find fault. You're going to find grime and dirt and just things that are awful. But what we're looking at is a relationship with God. And when, once you get into that relationship with God, you're so in love and he's so in love with you that you you begin to know what he wants of you. And it's it's not easy. It's not like he's going to ask you for peanuts because otherwise it wouldn't be worth it. Right. Um, and then, you know, I just, I would talk about the beauty of the church, like the enormous treasure trove that we have of literature and music and art and you know, the, all the all the books that have been written that are just f phenomenal and they're foundational to our very culture. So I guess that's really what I'd say. 
Um, and actually, the thing that my my best friend said to me when I was thinking of converting and I was saying, oh, I, I can't join the Catholic Church because it's so corrupt. And she said, um, you know, if it's so important to you, then is it really a good thing to be on the outside of it? Mm. You know, that's really wise because, okay, I'm just one small person and I'm far from perfect. But if I want the Catholic Church to be better, isn't it better that I'm in it <laughs> you know, rather than criticizing from the outside? Perhaps I can do something. Even, you know, even if it's a prayer, you know, being your presence, hopefully, hopefully my work is representative in some way of Catholicism. So we can all make a difference. That's a wonderful point. No, for sure. And uh, earlier you mentioned you came into, uh, came into the church on the feast of St. John the Cross. Is that correct? So um, it sounds like he may have been important. Have there been other saints that you have found yourself gravitating towards uh, during the last 10 or 12 years, Sally? Yeah, I mean, certainly. And by the way, it wasn't me that picked the date of St. John of the Cross. <laughs> it was actually by, the, by Cardinal Cotier who received me into the church. And then only that particular, on the day I realized it was the Feast of St. John of the Cross, which was just so strange because I'd been reading him and, and all the rest of it. But yes, I mean, um, Teresa of Avila, you know, his, his friend and um, and likewise she was a Carmelite reformer she's been very important to me because of her writing about prayer Therese of Lisieux I think is phenomenal um gosh um Edith Stein I mean there are so many I'm, I'm a big fan of white saints and then St Joseph and, and our blessed mother really really <laughs> incredibly important and that, that must have been beautiful as you came into the church and realized you had all these new friends that you could get to know in the communion of saints. And it is when you talk about the, the treasure trove that is the church, that's one of the amazing treasures is, uh, is the communion of saints and that we can reach out to those holy men and women who have experienced Christ so deeply in their own lives. And we can, we can call on them for their own help and guidance. So yeah, welcome to a whole new set of friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Sally, I'm wondering where our listeners could learn more about um, the work that you've done and kind of current projects. Where might they go to learn more? Um, I have a website which is called um, sallyreed.net. So it's sallyreed.net. And that's usually up to date with things I've published and things that I'm working on. Absolutely wonderful. And then before we leave, I, I often ask my guests if you could just leave our listeners with a note of hope and encouragement. <laughs> Well, I would say that the hope, wow, the hope is in love. And if we if we look at the cross and we really reflect on, on Christ's pain and just the hideousness of that death, I think if we take that on board and then we consider that the love reflects that, the love is so all-encompassing and that God knows us better than anybody else. Um, and God has everything in hand. And we may think we're in a dark spot, but God will always find us and he always knows which way to point us and how to make our crooked line straight. That's my big hope. <laughs> Sally, that's a wonderful note to leave us on. I thank you for your time today. May God continue to bless uh, you, your family, and the good work you're doing to bring others closer to Christ. God bless you. At one point, Sally mentions a phrase she heard from her priest friend who said, only Christ will convert you. And truly, it is only Christ who does the converting. You know, I could have Pope Francis on this show every week, but that still wouldn't be the key to helping others along a path of conversion. 
Ultimately, it is about a deep connection with Jesus Christ and a friendship with Him that moves beyond opinions or expectations. It is simply a matter of us being totally embraced by His love and being guided by His radiant presence in our lives. And here, I want to turn to St. Teresa of Avila, who Sally referenced during our interview. St. Teresa writes, If Christ Jesus dwells in a man as his friend and noble leader, that man can endure all things. For Christ helps and strengthens us and never abandons us. He is a true friend. And I clearly see that if we expect to please Him and receive an abundance of His graces, God desires that these graces must come to us from the hands of Christ, through His most sacred humanity in which God takes delight. Many, many times I have perceived this through experience. The Lord has told it to me. I have definitely seen that we must enter by this gate if we wish His sovereign majesty to reveal to us great and hidden mysteries. A person should desire no other path, even if he is at the summit of contemplation. On this road he walks safely. All blessings come to us through our Lord. He will teach us, for in beholding his life we find that he is the best example. What more do we desire from such a good friend at our side? Unlike our friends in the world, he will never abandon us when we are troubled or distressed. Blessed is the one who truly loves him and always keeps him near. Let us consider the glorious St. Paul. It seems that no other name fell from his lips than that of Jesus, because the name of Jesus was fixed and embedded in his heart. Once I had come to understand this truth, I carefully considered the lives of some of the saints, the great contemplatives, and found that they took no other path. Francis, Anthony of Padua, Bernard, Catherine of Siena, a person must walk along this path in freedom, placing himself in God's hands. If God should desire to raise us to the position of one who is an intimate and shares his secrets, we ought to accept this gladly. Whenever we think of Christ, we should recall the love that led him to bestow on us so many graces and favors, and also the great love God showed in giving us in Christ a pledge of his love. For love calls for love in return. Let us strive to keep this always before our eyes and to rouse ourselves to love Him. For if at some time the Lord should grant us the grace of impressing His love on our hearts, all will become easy for us and we shall accomplish great things quickly and without effort. Again, that is from St. Teresa of Avila. And I pray that this week we can be even a little more open to the depths of divine friendship that Jesus is calling each of us to, and to keep that love of Christ before our eyes as we continue down this road together. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next week as we continue to explore the many ways that God is at work in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.